Welcome to Money for the Rest for the Personal Finance Show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 126. Still working on the title, but essentially, it answers a question I got a month or so ago when I was talking to the executive director of the Republican Party in an unnamed state. I won't mention the state. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat, but I, I just happened yeah, we were at a wedding reception, and, and we got into a conversation. Very conservative person, as you might expect, given his role. We got to talking about how the federal government work, about the national debt. And his question was, what happens when interest rates increase and the debt grows such that interest payments become a bigger and bigger portion of the federal budget? Now, that's a really long sentence, and I haven't condensed it into a, a short, snappy title, but I'll work on it. I'm on the road today. I'm recording this at the Westin Hotel in Cincinnati, Ohio, overlooking Fountain Square. I talked about the Westin in detail in my long history with this hotel back in Episode 82, What Happens When the Fed Raises interest rates. And it's today I'm recording this on a Monday, a Monday morning. I don't typically record that. Tonight is the big presidential debate between candidate Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. It's supposed to be in terms of as big as a Super Bowl in terms of the amount of people that, that watch it. I like to watch presidential debates. And my I always wonder... What if, what if they have a panic attack during it? So much pressure in one setting. And so we'll see. But I assume what will come up is discussion on the national debt, the federal situation. And I thought it would be helpful to, to look at where are we in terms of the budget. Remember, I spoke, actually, I was staying... I was speaking at our annual conference at my old firm. I was actually up stairs in the West End practicing it, but one of the exercises I had gone through was to look. One of my slides showed the federal budget, and it, and it just, there was something daunting about, just sort of amazing, that you could put a trillion-dollar budget on a spreadsheet, and, and there it was, and you can look it up. In fiscal year 2015, the U.S. federal government spent $3.7 trillion. That equates to just over 20% of the nation's gross domestic product. It's a measure of the dollar value of a country's output of goods and services. Now, all the figures I'm going to share in today's episode, they come from the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, the Office of Management and Budget, the Congressional Budget Office, the U.S. Treasury, and the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, as well as the Urban Institute. So a number of different sources. You can get links to, to all the data that I reference at moneyfortherestofus.net. As a member of my Insider's Guide free membership, you could also get those links to your email to you, as, along with a summary article. You can sign up also for that at moneyfortherestofus.net, or as a US, U.S.-based listener, just text the word INSIDER to the number 44. Two, two, two. So the government spend three, spent $3.7 trillion in the fiscal year 2015. At the end of this month, we'll have fiscal year 2016, so we'll have updated data. But of that $3.7 trillion, 
3.2 trillion, about 86%, was revenue received from taxes and, and others' revenues. But so it was money that came into the government coffers and then they spent out. 438 billion, or roughly 14% of the spending, was funded by government debt. Now, in 2015, 47% of federal revenue was from individual income taxes, while 11% came from corporate income taxes, or taxes paid by corporations, and 33% was from social insurance and retirement receipts, such as Social Security and Medicare. So we get those are the main sources. With individuals paying income taxes, you have corporations, which is about 11%. Individuals is 47%. 33% is just Social Security and, and Medicare taxes. And then the remaining 9% is from other sources, such as excise taxes. Now, the $438 million that was borrowed to fund the government in 2015 is known as the federal budget deficit. And it equated to about 2.5% of gross domestic product. And just as a comparison, in fiscal year 2009, in the aftermath of the Great Recession, the federal budget deficit, or the amount borrowed, was $1.4 trillion, or 9.8% of GDP. And so it keeps, it's, it's, it's gone down significantly. And why is that? Because tax revenues have gone up. During a recession, tax revenues drop, and social spending, such as unemployment benefits, skyrockets. Then as the economy recovers, more people get jobs, unemployment benefits, and other other expenses go down. As, as a percent of the economy overall, it continues to go up, but tax revenue goes up, and so the deficit shrinks. Since the federal budget deficit represents spending that was funded with borrowing, the budget deficit amount gets added annually to the national debt. And as of September 2016, the national debt was $19.5 trillion. Total, total public debt as a percent of GDP, so the total national debt, was 105%. Now, since we had a number of years of running very large deficits, prior to the Great Recession, debt as a percent of GDP was 63%. Now, who owns the debt? So that the debt is rising, is 105%. Is, is that good? Is that bad? We, we talked a lot about some of those numbers back in Episode 106, How Worried Should You Be About the National Debt? So we're not going to necessarily talk about size of the debt because we want to answer that question from the executive director that I mentioned. What happens when interest, the interest rate portion of the debt? And then how large is the interest rate portion of the debt? But that's what it is. Right now it's 105% of GDP. It was 63%. Now, much of the debt is owned by federal agencies. And so we kind of have to back that out. Look at what, what percent of the debt is owned, which is owned by the public. And the public would include foreign entities. It does include the Federal Reserve, which owns a fairly large portion of the debt. And it's, it's investors, it's mutual funds, it's pension plans, it's insurance companies, it's individuals that, just, that, that own the debt. So when we back out what agencies owns, the debt owned by what we'll call the, owned by the public is $14.1 trillion, or 
of GDP. Now, back with which agencies, the Social Security Trust Fund is the largest agency that owns a portion of the national debt. We're going to talk a little bit, a little bit about the Social Security Trust Fund. That they own two point eight trillion, but fourteen trillion dollars is what we, what's outstanding in, in the form of government bonds and notes. And the largest holder of that are are foreign entities. They own six point two trillion dollars, so roughly forty percent. And back in episode six and in other episode, I talked about the, these foreign holders of the national debt. They own it because they ran huge trade deficits with the U.S. And, and so now they have dollars that they need to do something with. And oftentimes they want to earn some interest, so they buy national debt. So back in episode 106, I talked about what if those foreigners decided to dump China, for example, wanted to dump its national debt, some of the ramifications there. So we won't talk about that today. But the, the Federal Reserve then owns $2.5 trillion, and, and they, were, they were heavy buyers of the national debt as part of the whole quantitative easing program, which I believe I spoke about in episode, I think it was episode 32 of the show. But where did the money go? Where did the money go that the federal government spent in 2015? The largest amount was on health care and insurance expenses tied to Medicare, Medicaid, the Children's Health Insurance Programs, and marketplace subsidies for the Affordable Care Act. A couple episodes ago, we talked about why insurance rates, health care insurance rates are increasing. And I mentioned, I mean, you can get subsidies for your portion of the, to, to buy private health insurance on the exchanges. The amount wasn't as large, it was a pretty small amount. $938 billion of federal expenditures in 2015 went to the, these health care programs, Medicare, Medicaid, etc. But only $28 billion were subsidies on the health exchange. So $28 billion out of $938 billion. The biggest portion was Medicare. Medicare provides health coverage to 55 million people over 65 as well as to the disabled. And that accounted for two-thirds of the health care spending, about $546 billion. The, and then, then again, so huge, 55 to 65 million people, retirees, get the largest portion uh, of the federal government. They just directly benefit from them. In terms of members that are on the exchange, that, that small, much, much, much smaller, $28 billion, it's only about $8 million. So $8 million of the $11 million applicants that purchase health care on the exchanges got some type of subsidy. The second highest federal budget item is Social Security, and that, that provides monthly retirement benefits that average roughly $1,342 per month to 40 million retired workers. And Social Security also makes payments to 2.3 million spouses and children of retired workers, as well as the surviving spouses and children of deceased workers, and $10.8 million disabled workers. I had a conversation the other day by somebody that, <laughs> that readily admitted he was grumpy. He, he was older, he was a lifetime Democrat, and he was going to vote for Donald Trump in this presidential election, or at least he says he is. And I said, why? And what, what are you so upset about? 
And he says he got a social security statement and he, he paid all this money in and he feels like the benefit he is getting isn't really worth it. He's not getting, he didn't get what he paid for. And, and there was a couple of things I had, I point out to him. One, keep in mind, social security is not like a regular pension plan. It's indexed to inflation. Your benefits go up as inflation goes up. Another thing is it's also a disability insurance policy and a life insurance policy. And so you're paying these taxes, but you're also getting additional benefits other than retirement benefits. I looked at and I because I then raised the question, well, how much benefits do we get when we pay in or the amount that we benefits we receive from the amount we paid in? There was a study put together by the Urban Institute that answered this very question. They looked at what, and, and, and I'll link to it because they had a dozen tables, and I, we can't go to all of them, but they looked at the present value in today's dollars of the taxes that were paid, and and this is on a real basis, and and the value of the benefits received, and then they assumed a, a, a real rate of return. And so, and let me put this, all this analysis is going to be in 2015 dollars. So because of the fact that you're paying taxes over the life of, of, of your living and then you're getting benefits in the future, we have to put them in today's dollars and do it a present value calculation. What is it today, the total value today of what was paid in versus the total balance value going to receive and assume a very modest, a modest rate of return, a real rate of return. I think they use 2%. So by 2%, so in terms of a nominal return, that'd be 2% plus rate of inflation. So roughly four to 5% return. So a, a reasonable return, I think, for this type of calculation. They found, and you'll see at the tables, the vast majority of the people receive dramatically more benefits than they receive in terms of what they paid in. And just the one example I give is a married couple, two average earners that make on average in $2015, $95,600 combined, will receive $1,038,000 in benefits in today's dollars and would have paid in $683,000 in taxes. And, and go through the tables, you can look, it was a pretty fascinating study but because one thing people don't realize, so when, when your spouse dies, then and they continue to, to, get, continue to get benefits. And so the only people that, that came up a little short change were single people in the highest income bracket. So if you pay the highest income bracket, you are maxing out your amount paid to Social Security, Medicare every year, remain single, you will have paid slightly more in taxes than you receive in benefits. But if you're married because of the, the idea that, you know, a typical 65-year-old, if you're a married couple, the odds of one of you living into your mid-90s is pretty high. It's over 25%. So that's an important thing to consider. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tagovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, or hundreds of millions in revenue, 
NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash david. That's netsuite.com slash david, netsuite.com slash david. So in 2015, spending on Social Security benefits was $888 billion, or 24% of the federal budget. 16% of the federal budget, about $602 billion, was spent on national defense and what's known as international security assistance. So I assume payment to, to foreign entities to help or other security-type measures. 10% of the budget was for social safety net spending, including unemployment benefits, and the Earned Income Tax Credit for Low-Income Working Families. 8% of the federal budget goes toward benefits for federal retirees and veterans, while 11% was spent on the federal programs, including transportation infrastructure, education, science, and medical research. Just a note, I'm a big bit hoarse today. I spent all weekend in San Diego at the FinCon Financial Media and Blogger Conference Spent a lot of time talking, way more time than I typically talk. And so now I'm in Ohio, and I'm going to be in New York on Wednesday for a week. Love to get back to New York City every week, but I, I'm a little hoarse, and I, I, so I apologize for that. But back on this 11%, one of, maybe one of the discussions in the debate tonight is, well, we should cut the federal the government. We should, we, should, we should reduce it. But the vast majority of the federal government's going to people. And so when we talk about programs and waste that needs to be cut, really that's only about 11% of the budget, unless you think, you know, maybe there's some waste in, in the defense, and I'm sure there is. But most of the federal budget goes to people. In fact, 67% of the annual federal spending is going to households to cover living expenses, including health-related costs. That's the biggest amount it's going to individuals. Now, back, though, the original question was on interest rates. 6% of the federal spending goes toward national debt held by the public. In other words, interest on government bonds and notes. So with, you know, with about $13.5 trillion held by the public in, 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 the, in government bonds and notes, the interest paid in, 20, in 2015 was $223 billion. So that imputes to an average interest rates of approximately 1.7%. As the interest as a percent of gross domestic product, the size of the economy in 2015, was 1.24%. And that's about where it was from the 1950s to the mid-70s. During the 80s, as interest rates climbed, or soared really, interest as a percent of GDP climbed also. And that got to as high as 3.1% in 1991. And it's been declining ever since. Now, this idea that most of the government spending is going to people, the government is a pay-as-you-go system. 
That means, well, the beneficiary, you know, as I, I just showed, you might feel like you've earned all these benefits and, you, and, and the government's saving up all your Social Security and Medicare taxes. That, that's not really the case. It's pay as you go. Now, at this, this FinCon conference, they have an expo, and there were a different vendors, and, and a couple of different vendors had these apps, and they were using what I, I had a friend growing up, and, and he, had, he had a single mom, one of my best friends, and she, she made money. She, just, she worked. They didn't have much money. She worked at uh, basically taking care of the elderly in a retirement community. And she worked on cash. And so when she did her budget, when she got paid, every category went into an envelope, a physical envelope, and went into pay for, you know, the food went into the food envelope, the clothing went into the clothing envelope. And as I just hit my mic, sorry about that. I used to recording in a hotel. And, and that's how she did it. Well, number that, there was a number of apps providers, businesses that were basically doing an electronic envelope session, or or, or essentially that's how they do it. And so I I won't go into the details of how the app works, but essentially the government does that also. You might have heard of the Social Security Trust Fund. There's $2.8 trillion in there. That is an envelope system. And so the government's paying out Social Security benefits, but technically they're paying it out of the Social Security Trust Fund envelope. And the trust fund, what does it own? It owns government bonds, right? As I mentioned, they own, they own government debt. They own the national debt. So they own a portion of that. So technically, the Social Security payments are going out of there. And by law, they need to. So at some point, I mean, there's concern about Social Security. There, there's studies that say, well, it's going to go broke. When they, what they mean is the trust fund will be deleted. In current estimates, it'll be sometime around 2030. That trust fund will be deleted. The law says... Social Security benefits needs to be paid out of that. And so there'll need to be some adjustments to Social Security, or at least to the law, to pay for that. But in practice, just like in for this, you know, my friend's mom, there was only one paycheck. And, and technically, there was money going out to pay for things. The envelope system was just an organizational system. The trust fund is the same thing for the federal government. They're counting entities, but it's a pay-as-you-go system. The money goes in and the money goes out, and maybe there's some accounting and holding of government bonds and notes as part of the accounting, but that's how it works. So the federal government is essentially a pass-through vehicle which collects revenue and borrows funds from households and businesses and governments and then turns around and spends the money collected on those same household businesses and government. And now, now back to the national debt. While that's a liability of the federal government, it is also an asset for household businesses and governments. They own the debt in the form of government bonds and notes, and so every dollar of interest the federal government spends on interest payments is also someone else's income. So that goes back to the original question, what happens when interest payments on the national debt become a larger portion of the federal budget? Well, depending on who owns the debt, all that means is a greater portion of household and business income will come in the form of interest income and perhaps less proportionally from federal retirement or health care benefits. And so as, as the government is spending more on interest, the money flows to the same people. So what, what I find fascinating about, about that, so when we talk about 
cutting government spending, we're cutting our own income as households and as individuals and businesses because we're a pass-through vehicle. So what do individuals do with this interest income, these Social Security benefits, the retirement benefits for veterans? They spend it, and they spend it on goods and services. And it it's just, it's sort of circular. I mean, it's, it's sometimes hard to get your head around. But when we're cutting the government, we're cutting the own income you're receiving. Now, we could argue we shouldn't be spending on this or that, but it, it is all interconnected. And there is no panacea if we cut the federal government. Suddenly, the, the economy is going to do wonderfully. If we cut the federal government, people are going to have less income to spend on goods and services that the output the country produces and that potentially you know, could lead to a recession. And so it's not that the governments can't be completely extravagant, but we're going to look at, there's a study that the project uh, uh, or the Center on Budget and Priorities. And what they do is they, they sort of, the, the, the Congressional Budget Office does a 10-year projection of what spending will be, what revenue will be, and what debt levels will be. And then the Center on Budget and Priorities, this is, they're a, a non, a, a, Independent, so they're they're not politically biased at all. There's what I think. What's the term for it? But basically, the nonpartisan research institute, and they do projections out to two hundred or to twenty forty six. And they they released one in twenty fifteen. They, they did one in twenty ten. In twenty ten, based on current trends, they projected debt held by the public would equal two hundred and fifty percent. It would be over two hundred fifty percent of GDP. In their most recent projection, they believe it will be 113% of GDP by 2046. That is a huge difference. And why did it change? Well, it was significant cost savings in terms of healthcare costs. The, the, the growth of healthcare costs was reduced, as was the level of interest rates. And so, what's, what's fascinating about this is these projections can vary quite dramatically. But what matters is where are we today? Is the government spending so much that it's starting to encroach and, and buy and influence the spending on too much output? In other words, we have constrained capacity. It's leading to inflation. And that doesn't seem to be the case. Now, as part of the CBO's projection, they assume – so first off, the, the CBO assumes in their 10-year projection – that the average interest rate, say, on a three-month treasury would go from 0.5% to 3.2%, and on the 10-year bond from 2.6% to 4.1%. They're assuming rising interest rates. The, the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities assumed the same, but they, the, in other words, after the 10 years, they assume rates are going to be in that, that 4% range. And as a result, net interest cost they believe is expected to double. Right now, as I mentioned, it's about 1.5% or 1.4%. They expect it to be 3% of GDP in, in 2046. And again, we're at a level where net interest rate is at 113% of GDP. That's the expectation. Or I'm sorry, the national debt as a percentage of GDP. That, that's manageable. That is a manageable level, as is the level of interest payments, which again, is just income 
going to household businesses and other governments. Now, as part of that, and you, you can look at the that, that study that they did. I'll link to it because I'm running out of time here in terms of covering it. But one of the other things to consider, how could you be that wrong over a six-year period? You were predicting 250% of debt to GDP. Now you're at 113%. Well, the things that can change is, is productivity. If the nation became more productive, in other words, produced more output per worker, and, and productivity increased by 0.5%, that would re- result in debt to GDP of 84%, not 113%. If productivity was lower by 0.45%, or 0.5%, annual productivity growth, we'd be at 145% of debt to GDP. If interest rates were 0.5% higher, so a 10-year bond about 4.5%, debt to GDP in 2046 would be 123%. And if there were half percent lower it would be 104 percent so all types of variations the reality is the interest rates are not going to kill us it's income going to us cutting the budget is not is is potentially would cause a recession but we're cutting our own income we can argue and they're going to argue in the debate about what should budget priorities be but most of the money is going to health care social security benefit it's going to us as a, a participant in the Social Security system, most of us are going to pay way, going to receive way more benefits than we get in, in terms of taxes paid. We're going to have to adjust probably the retirement age, and we continue to make adjustments so that we keep things sound. But the government's going to be just fine, and and, and it's not going to be the huge issue if interest rates go up. And the, the overall as interest rates or interest in or the interest amount paid goes up as a percent of the budget, it just flows through us. So I'll stop there. That, that's episode 126. I'll come up with a nice snappy title. You can get show notes, as I mentioned, at moneyfortherestofus.net. If you want additional help with your retirement investing, as you, as you save, how to invest, what can you earn investing what should your asset allocation be? You can get that at uh, the Money for the Rest of Us Hub. We're in beta testing of the Money for the Rest of Us Hub app. We're about to start that. Terrifying to me because we've done this work. We're putting it out. I'm sure there'll be issues, but it, it's a convenient format for members to be able to get content, all the audio content on the Money for the Rest of Us Hub and the convenience of a, a podcasting app. Beta testing there. Hopefully, we'll get that released in the next month. Fingers crossed if we can do that. So hope everyone has a great week. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice. Simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.